Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome to the Ebonhawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Today we'll answer your questions to celebrate passing 700 followers and discuss many more topics from the galaxy far, far away. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is episode 28 and this is where the Eternal Throne begins. So let's go ahead and get started with our listener questions. First up is from the History Channel, and they ask, who would you think should play Revan if we get a movie series? Uh, why don't you go ahead and start with that one, Cassia? Okay, so I've never really said who I wanted on the podcast, kind of because I'm a little bit embarrassed by my answer, because it kind of goes against like all the rules I've set for myself. Like, I want an unknown, but I think playing Revan... I would want Chris Evans because when you see him in Infinity War, uh, I think he could pull off kind of the Revan look. And then if you've also seen him in Knives Out, he, spoiler alert for Knives Out, he plays very convincing and likable villain. And I just think if you kind of have that contrast between like someone who can play the villain well and the hero well, That'd be interesting, and it would just be someone who audiences are familiar with, so I would find that interesting. And if not him, I could easily see Michael B. Jordan or Chadwick Boseman, who are also in the MCU, uh, in the Black Panther, you know, taking on the role. Yeah, I think we did go over some names some time ago, but we, yeah, we never really settled on who would be the perfect one. And I, I still would lean towards just kind of like surprising us with a new face. Uh, the trend that Star Wars has is to get somebody who has a lot of screen time be kind of more of the mentor character. And where kind of the supporting cast is a bunch of new faces. So I I would like to see that kind of ring true. But I do agree that I think Chris Evans would a pretty good match though he does have a lot of disney and marvel screen time our next question comes from anon and they ask what projects would you like to see on disney plus utilizing the volume technology behind the mandalorian for this one i would love to see a show set in the tron universe preferably like a series sequel to tron legacy because the director krasinski He's familiar with that technology. They used it in 2015's Oblivion. I think that would be interesting. I also would love to see some sequels to John Carter, uh, which was a movie I really enjoyed. And using the volume technology, I think they could bring the cost down, uh, perhaps, or just do a reimagined series of John Carter, and I think I'd like that. Or 
Spaceship Earth, which is like my favorite ride in Epcot. Just kind of chronicling history from like the Ice Age, you know, uh, up to modern day. Like maybe they could tie it in with Tomorrowland or something. But just kind of to, it could be an educational show and just kind of to show like the evolution of like history and technology and humanity. I think that would be really cool. I would like to see a new Tron movie, I think, just because that, that is a really neat original IP that does need a sequel. Something that I also think would have been a, an appropriate use of the volume is it's a great technology to use for the High Republic. I'd rather see a live action adaptation of more Star Wars, but we are getting that comic series. I just think that it's a great original Star Wars idea that Disney could take advantage of to make some more like live action Star Wars content. Oh, just one other item that just kind of popped up is a just like a modern retake of like Starship Troopers. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that one. Does Disney own it now? Uh, that's what I'm trying to look up right now because they almost own everything. If it was originally made by Fox, I'm pretty sure they own it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to spend too much time looking. Oh, it's okay. It's Sony, so not quite. Yeah, one day they'll own Sony, so. <laughs> Won't happen for a while unless Sony gets their hands on some volume technology. Yeah. All right, so moving on. The uh, the Senate.squad asks, uh, were Jedi able to use the Star Forge, or was it only a dark side thing? So the Rakatan Empire were the beings who created the Star Forge, and it was powered and it amplified the dark side so to use it you would either have to be a dark side a dark sider or kind of you would be swayed by the dark side so usually just like a dark sided kind of place and i I think like kind of looking into the light and dark side kind of making stuff out of nothing and never being content that's kind of dark sided so what do you think coden yeah, the Star Forge is kind of that, that Star Wars placeholder of the like the dark side super weapon. The Nine Sealed Republic had a lot of callbacks to the original trilogy and even of the the new prequels. And so the the Star Forge was like the game's version of the Death Star in the story. And so for that to be controlled by the light side doesn't make sense for what the machine is designed to do but i mean it could could the the other side use the star forge uh, uh i think like cassie is saying it's not really that kind of device and it's it is kind of meant to be just that explained death factory i think yeah so some of these questions that were asked We've actually spent a lot of time covering these in our original podcast episode. And so if you don't hear your question answered here, feel free to pop up in that episode. We actually spend a lot of time talking about like how we learned about Star Wars and like why we've been such big fans of the series. Ironic.designs asks, what time period would you want to live in and what would your profession be? And uh, they also include, no, we're not force sensitive. So... Cassie, what, what do you think? 
I think it's because I grew up with the prequels. I would just choose the, like, Clone Wars era. Or perhaps maybe I'd want to be in the Old Republic. Maybe I would be a bounty hunter because it seems like it would be interesting and I could still, like, kind of do the same stuff that a Jedi would do, you know? It's just with a little bit more, you know, professional freedom. But maybe at the end of my road, I would learn that being a bounty hunter is not the way to, like, have a happy life. And then, like, maybe I could start Dex's Diner on Coruscant and be content. Yeah, I think I'd probably live on Coruscant as well. As far as what I'd be doing, I don't know. I, I think it would be it would be cool to because we can't be a Jedi or we can't be force sensitive, it would be still cool to maybe work at the Jedi Temple as you know, maybe part of the Jedi archives. Or or I don't know, being involved with the Senate somehow. Yeah, I'd I'd probably be a a regular at Dex's diner because Dex is pretty awesome and he serves some pretty good food if Obi Wan goes there all the time. So Get that Jawa juice. Yeah. The Senate.squad asks, what is the process of making a podcast? And I'll go ahead and answer this one for us. So in order to make a good podcast, you've got to have a good topic. And whether, you know, it starts off with just having a, a constant theme, I think is what starts a good podcast. And then finding out what you want to talk about, uh, if it involves news, you know, great audio and editing. Yeah, you have to come up with like a good topic that you're passionate about, get the technology and learn the skills. And you kind of have to understand like you're going to be learning for a long time. Because if I go back and listen to some of the episodes, I'm like, oh, that that was kind of rough going back. But I mean, you have to start somewhere. A part of the process I spend a lot of time with is the scripting of the episodes. So I just try to find relevant Star Wars news and just I'm always linking it back to the Old Republic. And we just try to make it fun and entertaining for us and our, our listeners. The last question before we jump into a break is also from the Senate Squad. They ask, again, which Old Republic character has the coolest lightsaber? I've always loved the Darth Revan like Sith saber. I probably say this a lot, but it just has a nice ergonomic design like Qui-Gon Jinn's lightsaber. And then I also think Ven Zalo's lightsaber that you see in the Deceived trailer for the Old Republic is very impressive. Yeah, I like Darth Revan's other lightsaber, though I don't think I would ever want to use it, just because it seems like it would be very uncomfortable to handle and use. But I think of the different... Knights of the Republic lightsabers out there, that one stands out the most to me. Yeah, I kind of wonder what it would look like if Darth Revan's, like, purple lightsaber that kind of has, a, like, a little Starforge on it was the red one, and then the... It was, like, if the red and purple colors were reversed, I think it would make sense, but they, I guess they didn't go that way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, because before, before they did match up the different colors to the hilts... I thought for sure that his Sith lightsaber was the one that looked like a Starforge. Yeah. So, but, you know, we were wrong. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back.
welcome back. So to get back to it, Paul Kuhn's Book Club asks, what's your favorite symbolic storytelling used in the saga and why? When Plo Koon was asking this question, he was like saying, for example, like you look at the light utilized in Revenge of the Sith, it kind of represents where Anakin's alignment with the light or dark side is. Because when it begins, like on Coruscant, it's like early morning. When they land on Coruscant, everyone's happy. But then like literally at night, he turns to the dark side, you know? So that's probably one of my favorite uh, uses, but also if you just look at Anakin's lightsaber in Attack of the Clones, it's kind of just like a nice silver design, and then that's kind of followed through with his Revenge of the Sith lightsaber. But once he turns to the dark side, he kind of has the same shape as that lightsaber, but like with more of an emphasis on strength and it looks darker. Yeah, mine's, mine's a little bit similar. Uh, it's a very subtle thing in the Star Wars universe, but it's it's Luke's look through the original trilogy where he starts off as, you know, just a very clean farm boy. And then in Empire Strikes Back, all his his clothing is more of like a grayscale. And then in Return of the Jedi, he's wearing all black and it kind of symbolizes kind of the path he has to take to understand his father to find a way to save him because in empire strikes back he decides to make that goal to save his father from the dark side yeah and if you look at that costume it's a it's kind of a mix between obi-wan and darth vader's outfits so it's kind of like cluing the viewer in that it's like it could go either way and just when you kind of think, like, Luke could go to the dark side, he says, no, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And there's, like, a little flap on his outfit that falls. And you kind of see that even though it was black on the outside, like, it was white underneath. So it's like Luke was going to be good all along. So I like that detail. Our next question comes from Star Wars Doctor, and they ask, what makes KOTOR special to you? I would say that it just is kind of fresh because it's not something situated in, like, the Skywalker saga. Uh, one thing I would love to see in the future of Star Wars is just kind of playing around in the timeline, playing with different stories. And KOTOR just has, like, such a unique story and just, like, some really fun characters and it was just very unique. It was one of the first few games where it's like, you're kind of the captain of the ship. You get to choose like what armor you're going to wear, what weapons you're going to use. Like, do you want to go light or dark side? Like, what, are, what order are you going to do the planets in? It was kind of new. I just like that it was a fun game and like new branch off the star wars tree you know it was just fun yeah for me it was the first rpg or role-playing game that like i had played and it you know it was just that much better because it was star wars so you had the ability to make these these little decisions in the star wars universe kind of making the star wars story your own star wars story which was very unique at the time and 
kind of made the game a lot more like personable when you were playing. And uh, yeah, it was cool to see that some of the decisions impacted your character's Revan to either make more good decisions or more uh, evil decisions, you know, influencing kind of major points of the story later in the game, which was really cool. Don't drink the blue milk asks, of all the planets in KOTOR, where would you live? And they uh, offer their own suggestion where they say that they would love to live in Upper Terrace or Manon. Yeah, like the more you kind of learn about Terrace, you're like, actually, this is kind of a, uh, it looks cool. It looks like Coruscant, but then like you kind of meet the people and it's like, oh, Terrace is actually super corrupt and racist, you know? I think out of Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2, like, I would love to visit all the planets. Maybe even Korriban, because it's kind of like Egypt, except, like, you know, with, like, crazy darksiders everywhere. I'd like to see them all, but I think, like, Dantooine is just very peaceful, kind of pastoral. And then in Knights of the Old Republic 2, like, Onderon, I think would be very nice, and you can always go vacation on the weekend at Duxin. I think Dantooine for me, where it's just kind of a secluded style planet where it's like it's it's got a pretty good climate all around but it's it's not like a busy place it's just kind of a relaxed outpost it does have the jedi temple there with the council branch there as well i think that would be the place for me at lorg asks which character in kotor has the best design so um before we answered about the lightsaber this time it's about the character i would definitely say bastila has a a very good outfit like it looks like a jedi outfit but a little bit more regal so it it fits her character and then i think karth has a good outfit like he looks like a a soldier but like a a guy too you know so him and then yeah so bastila and karth i think have uh, some of the coolest designs and then Darth Revan has a good outfit as well. It kind of mixes the Boba Fett and Darth Vader looks, and that was intentional, like a, an intentional design choice on their part. The the design they used for the Sith soldiers is probably my favorite KOTOR character design. And then probably followed up with Candorous. Jedi.amir.tel asks, with SOTOR being a sequel to KOTOR, would you prefer the next KOTOR game to take place a thousand years after SOTOR? No. Um, I, I think a thousand years after SOTOR, we get dangerously close to the uh, the prequels, and I'd like KOTOR to kind of stay in the world of KOTOR. Preferably, I would, I would honestly just have liked a trilogy like a proper trilogy for knights of the old republic and then maybe they could do like a like a generation or two after and just call it star wars the old republic but i guess what we have is what happened you know i i would like them to like kind of go to different parts of the star wars timeline and just create new stories yeah i think the one thing that sotor does is it it, it takes a lot of the story and you become a character that's part of a grander story. And so to make a sequel off of SOTOR doesn't quite work to me. But if we 
went before SOTOR, so between KOTOR 2 and SOTOR, and kept the same design structure as the KOTOR games, it would it would work as kind of that in-between story for a for a next game. So yeah, I agree that you know it's too bad that KOTOR 3 never was realized because of budget and studios changing hands, and I think that would have been where we would have liked to see another KOTOR game take place. At Great Jedi 101 asks, well, I've always wanted to know if you guys prefer the romance between the male exile with uh, Vices or Brianna. And then also we added to the question, the female exile with Atten or Michael. So for me, it's not really canon, but I just thought that the male exile worked better with Vices because it's just like kind of just a deeper story I think rather than like Brianna who's kind of like kind of just more of a aggressive character and like is like I fight in my underwear like I'm just like eh, that's not really interesting from a storytelling perspective but uh with the canonical female exile I'm just not a fan of Atten in a relationship with that character so I would be more interested in maybe seeing like a revamped romance with Michael or even like Beodor. Yeah, for me, I mean, I don't really think the the romances in the KOTOR games for me don't add a whole lot to why I play KOTOR. And so other than the, the Revan and Bastila kind of romance that they have in that game, even with that present, I never really took that serious and would kind of use that to make fun of Basil all the time. And so, I don't know. I think I think both KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2, it, it didn't really work that well for me to pay too much attention to kind of any of those options. Yeah, I think Revan and Basla is probably one of the better star wars romances it's kind of like a double beauty and the beast uh whenever i played like female revan i'm like i can't do this with karth like i tried like but i kind of feel like he would be kind of like that boyfriend who you would be hanging out with him and then he would be like i want to go to dinner and it's like okay where where do you want to go you know and then he would just never be able to make up his mind or when you would suggest somewhere he would say no I don't want to go there. And then I'd be like, oh my goodness, like, why am I, why am I here? You know? Every time you talk to Karth, he says, you know what? Never mind. And then he goes off on his own again. So I'm just kind of like personality wise. I'm like, I think he'd be a good friend, but like, just like in a relationship, I think I would go crazy. But yeah, with like Knights of the Old Republic 2, those romances, they were kind of truncated because they were going to be addressed more in the canceled KOTOR 3, but then it got canceled, you know? So that's why you put it all on the table, you know? Yeah. A-Rob's got two questions for us. The first one is, what is your favorite moment or scene in Star Wars? Right now, I don't know why, but in the prequel trilogy, it's probably when Palpatine is becoming the Emperor, and... Padme is talking to Bale and she's like, so this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause. And you just see like Palpatine raising his arms and just like 
everyone is just clapping all around like people give the political aspects of the prequels a hard time but visually it's just like such good theater you know and it's very necessary with the prequels because a lot of the questions of the regular trilogy had a lot to do with the politics that took place in the prequels so star wars has always been political yeah so i think one of my favorite scenes i mean i have a lot of favorite scenes but the the one that I, I like to watch a lot is the opening of Revenge of the Sith. It does the pan down to the Star Destroyer Venator, and then Anakin and Obi-Wan kind of fly in in between the uh, the battle going on over the top of Coruscant. That's a, that's a really cool scene in Star Wars. That opening is probably up there with four, honestly. Yeah. So. And then if you were a Star Wars character, who would you be? I would probably be a D-list character, like the lady in the Mandalorian episode who is trying to upsell Mando on his ship repairs, but who I'd like to be is like Padme or Bastila. I'd probably be Emerald Piet, stand on the, uh, the command deck of the uh, Star Destroyer, the Executor. That'd be pretty awesome. I'm trying to say something other than, like, I'll be Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone wants to be Han Solo. We just wanted to take a moment to thank those who have left us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Lolly Wars, WC Malone, A. Rob Guerra, and Big Al 11111. Your reviews and subscriptions help more Future listeners, find our podcasts just like Revan and Bastila had to find all of the star maps to find the Star Forge. So thank you again all so much. And let's move on to the upcoming Mandalorian books. So let's move on to our next topic. And uh, before we do so, again, thank you so much for uh, sending in your your questions. And we're going to move on to the upcoming Mandalorian books that were announced. So earlier this month, there was an announcement that more Mandalorian material is releasing. And just to just to kind of name them off real quick, uh, we've got The Art of the Mandalorian. Uh, and this is going over the art from season one. And this is done by Phil. I'm going to totally butcher this, but I'll say it with confidence. Sustek. Uh, and the cover is done by Doug Shang. The next book is The Mandalorian, an original novel. It's going to be an adult novel by Del Rey and by Adam Christopher. And um, there will also be The Mandalorian, The Ultimate Visual Guide by Pablo Hidalgo. Also, The Mandalorian uh, Allies and Enemies, level two. it's going to be a level two reader by Brooke Vital. And then The Mandalorian 8x8 Storybook. The title has not been released yet, but it'll be by Brooke Vital as well. 
and then the Mandalorian junior novelization by Joe Schreiber. Which books are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I think the one that I'd like to probably pick up and read is going to be the, the original novel by Adam Christopher. Something that I'd like to see from work like this is just kind of more of what happened between the episodes, learning what took place as kind of like a, a larger, well, maybe not like larger picture, but a more complete picture of what went on during the Mandalorian show. I think after listening to the Blast Points podcast, they've really kind of sold me on the art of books by Phil Sostak. And especially because uh, Dave Filoni is involved and he is an animator, you know, I just would like to see more of the art of The Mandalorian because I think iconic design-wise, the designs are very iconic and uh, enjoyable. And just kind of covering some of the bits and pieces that were like based on Renaissance art. Quill holding the IG droid, like the Pieta, and like the kind of the creation of Adam with like Mando reaching out to baby Yoda. I like that. So it'd just be cool to see other things like that. And then I think it would also be really cool to see, I think it'd be really cool to read the original novel because I feel like season one, there's a golden thread throughout, but it would be cool just to kind of have the narrative kind of fleshed out more and kind of just get some backstory, you know? And then also like this year, sometimes just like tending family, Disney Plus ends up getting involved. And I think like it would be cool for a lot of kids to have the eight by eight storybook and like I, I'm guessing that's going to be utilizing baby Yoda like a lot and I, I kind of think like Disney and Disney Plus is missing the opportunity to like have like a cute little like animated baby Yoda cartoon and it doesn't have to be that intense of an animation style but I think like kids would like that so I think that would be cool to see in the future. There's a lot of ways that Disney could really run with the Baby Yoda character, whether they do a before Mandalorian story of Baby Yoda, or if there's a significant amount of time between season one and season two. There's, I think there's a lot of ground that Disney could cover and profit off of a very successful character. The one thing I like about the art books is where they get the inspiration for you know, just some of the Star Wars tech that you see, some of it's kind of reused from assets used before, like the Mandalorian armor, obviously. And then, like, where they got the design for his ship, maybe some of the other ships used, some of the landscape, like the kind of the architecture used on some of the planets. You know, things like, like what, in, what inspired some of those designs, I think, is where those books really shine. I'll definitely be getting the Art of Mandalorian book and the original novel. And then before moving to our next topic, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
was an IGN article. It was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic's Darth Revan and Malak get new Funko Pop figures. Those figures are a GameStop exclusive, Darth Revan and Darth Malak from KOTOR. They were released on July 20th this year for $11.99. And we're thinking we're going to give away a Darth Malak figure when we hit a thousand followers on Instagram. So be on the lookout for that. Also to be released is the Shadow Trooper from Star Wars The Force Unleashed and a hooded Yoda figure from Star Wars Battlefront. What do you think this means, Coden? The Shadow Trooper from The Force Unleashed. I hope that Disney ju doesn't just use The Force Unleashed for like merchandise bait. It'd be cool to see Starkiller canonized somehow other than just for merchandise. That would be cool. We're just kind of seeing an uptick in Knights of the Old Republic merchandise, and I hope that it means something more than just being merchandise bait, you know? I would hope to see it utilized or developed in some capacity in the future. Yeah, just to sum it up, though, we are we are planning on giving away the Darth Malak Funko Pop. So what I think... What the plan is, is to follow the Instagram for the actual, the giveaway. But then we will, we'll most, we'll definitely announce the winner on Instagram, but we'll also bring it up on our, on a future episode here. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. Our last topic for today is a, a cinematic trailer that we didn't cover from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about some of the Sotor Cinematic Trailers, the one titled Knights of the Eternal Throne Betrayed. I'm not the most knowledgeable when it comes to Swotor, so I try to, you know, bring it up every now and again. I love the cinematic trailers. This comment from Boss Umbra on YouTube summarizes it probably better than I could. And they say, so in six minutes we got a story of a mother's love for her daughter, a child finding that she is stronger than anticipated, an outsider entity using and manipulating this child for his own purpose, the child being turned into a monster, and in the end, the mother doing whatever she can to stop the monster she once called her own. I just love, like, how it begins, like, it's just so idyllic, you know? You have a mother and daughter just in a beautiful field, and just kind of, as they're carving some wood animals, you kind of just see the... The daughter can use the force and like i don't think we've ever seen in star wars like kind of like wooden flakes like being levitated with the force so that was a that was a cool image but then you just kind of see the daughter she's very strong with the force and just very strong like she's able to like kind of take out some combatants just with the force and just kind of mess around and then you just kind of see uh senya worrying about what's going to happen to her child and then her worst nightmares being confirmed, you know? And then it kind of just ends on a cliffhanger. But Senya, you kind of see, like, she fights well, you know? It's not quite like in episode 21 where we're, t we're talking about, like, Deceived or Malgus and Satil fighting, but she she holds her own. What did you think about this trailer it kind of brings more light to kind of the way of life kind of like the force order and and kind of like the the worst case scenario right like the there's a child that 
is discovered to have force powers that are taken away for reasons of developing the force powers. But in this case, it's not like a, a positive thing. We watch this child turn into a monster. And then, yeah, just that confrontation that happens between the mother and daughter because of that. It is a tragic story, but and it is something that is kind of eye-opening of kind of like the the normal practice that goes horribly wrong. And in the future, we'll probably talk about some of the SWOTOR trailers we haven't brought up yet. Thanks for joining us today, guys. This has been Coden. And this has been Cassia. You can find us on Instagram. We always have new posts and some fun stories. And if you have any questions, you can always comment on our posts and we'll see those there. And The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. And subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. So thank you. And then our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always email us your questions and business inquiries. You can find me on a few different platforms now. You can you can follow me on Instagram, just at Conan Bond. And then you can find me on twitch.tv uh, forward slash Conan Bond. Typically, though, I do tweet out when I go live on Twitter, just at the same handle. So that's normally just Thursday evenings when I do tweet that I am going live. So just keep an eye out on that. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. And he can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music is composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been episode 28 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Thank you.